Now, do I have your full attention? Screw you. Hello to Yogi, hello to Boo Boo, hello to Scooby Doo, Barney and Bradley. Don't forget your goat leggings. Well, par me all over the place. There's always magic at the movies. What's in the basket? All I got is the horseradish sandwich that I accidentally made for lunch today. Was it just just horseradish or what? No, it was, I had uh, sourdough and I had roasted chicken and I had Havarti, but I didn't want to use mayonnaise because I wanted something with a little bit of a kick. And I was like, oh, I'll, I, I like horseradish. So I put the horseradish on, but turkey, I mean, I had chicken, roast chicken and uh, Havarti have no flavor. So I ate like a horseradish sandwich and it wasn't good. Too much of a kick? too much really too much of a kick because i love horseradish and i was just like oh this was a bad idea but i didn't really realize it until i was about halfway through the sandwich and then my eyes were starting <laughs> to well up a little bit Candace is biting into a raw onion because <laughs> i'm just such i'm just such a you know i really am like a roast beef bitch you know so i i i, I respect horseradish for everything it's done for me throughout my life i appreciate it i admire it but i he it did not it, it betrayed me today it let me down i think for a second there you almost referred to horseradish as a he <laughs> <laughs> okay okay horseradish what is that reminding me of um sweat hog from <laughs> welcome back cotter <laughs> I was like, if horseradish for a person, and I was like, oh my, I'm just thinking of, I'm just thinking of Sweat Hog from Welcome Back, Cotter. And then this is where Tiff puts in a clip of uh, Travolta as Vinnie Barbarino. I'll try my best. Here is that Sicilian songbird, the wonderful Mr. Vinnie Barbarino. Okay, well, this week we are uh, hitting you with another double feature bonus episode, and our theme, I guess, is movies from the 30s named after mundane jobs, which involve floods as plot points. And they're both uh, monogram movies. Are they? No, no, they're not. No, I <laughs> lied to you. No, Postal Inspector, for some reason, is a universal picture. That is actually really pathetic. Okay. Ricardo Cortez threw me off. I, I forgot that Ricardo Cortez was still apparently employable by the studios in the mid-1930s. These movies are Postal Inspector from 1936 and Telephone Operator from 1937. And what movies they were. <laughs> Postal Inspector with a running time of 58 minutes. And somehow 
had more story, more followable story than Telephone Operator, which is 70 minutes. Don't understand that. Well, the thing about Telephone Operator is uh, the only surviving copy, the one we saw, is also like 50 minutes because it's been cut to hell, apparently. I was reading, I think, on the IMDb reviews that there's just like 20 minutes missing from this movie. They uh, they cut out, uh, actually, I found, I, I did a little bit of research. Um, I went into one of the books I have on Poverty Row Pictures and they cut a whole subplot involving eugenics. I made that up. There's no, there's no eugenics subplot. Um, I was also going to make a joke about venereal disease. I don't know what they cut. I wish they'd cut a eugenics subplot. It would have been the only interesting thing in the fucking movie. Yeah. I couldn't lie to you guys. I said that and then I was like, oh, I have to immediately cop to the fact that was a bad joke because (laughs) who would you do eugenics on in telephone operator to be honest i don't remember who any of these people are apart from alice white yeah i don't recognize any of these names the fact that judith allen who's like the lead has the poster for telephone operator as her wikipedia picture is um quite telling warren heimer was pretty irritating i guess i would do a eugenics on him maybe (laughs) yeah I, i don't like the name heimer (laughs) also his character's name is shorty so i mean we know oh we know i feel about that yeah we stand on short Mm -hmm. people apparently he went to yale he was blackballed he was blackballed by according to according to our friends over at the wikipedia he was blackballed by harry Cohn for showing up drunk uh to work yeah no so Cohn pulls him off the set heimer responded by breaking into Cohn's office and urinating on his desk (laughs) he pulled a mitchum maybe i wouldn't do a eugenics on warren heimer i do eugenics on grant withers i think see there's a whole lot of just piss happening in hollywood huh yeah people have piss people have piss i forgot that grant withers was married to loretta young briefly i think that's the only reason i know his name yeah honestly he eloped with her he was 26 years old she was 17 and it was an oh good it was an old as their second movie together was released the title (laughs) of the movie the title of the movie is too young to marry oh fuck (laughs) oh Jesus. And it also mentions that after, um, I guess in the 50s, uh, he underwent a noticeable weight gain. Oh, he killed himself. Well. Yeah. I mean, I was going to go over the bit that you uh, glossed over in his Wikipedia page. While in his 20s, his hairy chested, rugged good looks made him a leading man over rising talent, James Cagney, in other men's women. (laughs) Well, to be honest with you. When I'm looking at a Wikipedia page, I am really just scanning for the bit where somebody gets eaten by a dog, you know, so. <laughs> Always scrolling to that death section of the fucking Wikipedia Personal life or death or, like, critical response. Those, those are the only things I'm really interested in. Scandal, exile in Albania, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, this film is a marked um, change from where we've seen Alice White before. It's really, like, and she's not even top build. She's really really gone down there (laughs) yeah it's sad it's sad i guess we should attempt to describe the plot of this movie i i I don't remember what happens in this movie (laughs) there there's there are some girls who are telephone operators and they flirt with some guys who are telephone linemen like uh charlie farrell and lucky star and then a flood happens that brings them all together. And then at the end, there's a proposal that happens. And then it smash cuts to a plain title card that you commented felt very Soviet. Yes, it did. It's like the end. <laughs> well, where do we go from here? I got my own ideas about that. And what might they be? I'm going to find me a justice of the peace that can swim. Red! 
Why are you proposing to me? You said it, and it's gonna stick. I'm nuts about you. Oh, me too, Red. Well, let's get out of here, find a minister, and start on our honeymoon. Well, where'll we go? That's up to you. What the hell is that? I mean, yeah, I could not tell you what happened in Telephone Operator. I was trying to watch it. It was really hot here that day when we watched it. I could not tell you, aside from the flood, I think the dam breaks. Also, apparently, it takes place in a, a city called Riverdale. Yeah. Which is, um, this is where they got the plot for the show, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Al- Alice White is actually uh, Jughead. There is <laughs> a bit... When they they pull into town and one of the miscellaneous doughy white men goes, so this is Riverdale. Boy, we just made it. I bet you they're in a drop in the tank. You want some gas? Yeah, fill her up. Yes, sir. So this is Riverdale. Yeah, beautiful, ain't it? And, because um, I wrote that down in my notes, and then he spends exactly $2, $2 even, to fill his tank. How much? $2 even. One of my notes is that they repeatedly say the Riverdale Dam has gone out. Get out of the valley to higher ground. And I think that's when the flood's happening and it's just repeated over and over again by like 15 different characters. The Riverdale Dam is going out. Get out of the valley to higher ground. The Riverdale Dam is going out. Get out of the valley to higher ground. The Riverdale Dam is out. Warn everybody. Get them out of the low country. Riverdale Dam is out. Water will be here in one hour. Warn your neighbors. Riverdale Dam is out. Leave the valley at once. I've also got that there's a character in this movie named Hotline Summers. Later on, when you get a chance, I want you to take a look through the records of the telephone company. And you'll find a guy named Hotline Summers. And everybody said he was the greatest lineman the phone company ever had. That's me. I I honestly, there are, this movie, I, you know, I, I not to shit on Monogram, but this movie really didn't have a lot to recommend it. Um, I'm trying to remember, really, my notes are very, are, are barren. I've got Alice White in a poverty row picture, which is sad. And then I've got, so this is Riverdale, period. $2 even to fill the tank. Tiff mocking the Soviets. And then more flood shit, exclamation point. I've got Alice White wants to fuck Warrenheimer's puggy nose. Okay, good. The nerve of some people. Just a minute, please. I suppose they think that's big time comedy. The line is busy. I think the woman to pug nose is kind of cute. You would. They won't be bothering us for a while. <laughs> the line is busy. I still think the one with the puggy nose is kind of cute. You fall for the funniest knickknacks. And then in quotes, I have, I fell for your little brother, so I guess that's something he said. <gasps> oh, right. We made fun of that a lot when that happened. Okay, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> How did you get here? Well, you see, your mother invited us for dinner. I fell for your little brother when I found out he was your... You should have seen. When I fell in the water, let all me out right on the end of a fishing pole. Mm, that must have taken a lot of courage, Mr. Rickard. Well, Ted's exaggerating a little. <laughs> Teddy, you know what happens to little boys that exaggerate? Certainly he does. They grow up to be telephone linemen. I'm on IMDb, and somebody uh, in the reviews mentions how Monogram spliced newsreel footage of floods because they couldn't do special effects. And that is a good point (laughs) that I otherwise would not have uh, thought about uh, compared to the other inexplicable flood movie where Universal has an actual backlot to flood. And also, here's something cool. The earliest documented telecast of this film took place in New York City on Friday, May 5th, 1950 on the Night Owl Theater on WPIX Channel 11. So that's good to know. Somebody somewhere was up watching 
watching Night Owl Theater, so presumably what, like 11 p.m. midnight? I don't know what really was considered Night Owl back in the days when the TV kind of just went dead at a certain time. And they're watching this, and then they were probably, you know, regretting their life. Almost time for our commercial. Dad, who's watching TV at 3.17 a.m.? Alcoholics, the unemployable, angry loners. I honestly can't remember anything else about this movie. I remember thinking that the town of Riverdale looked, because Los Angeles was so undeveloped in 1937 that it could have been virtually anywhere in the city, which is kind of interesting. I was kind of trying to piece together uh, some some context clues to figure out where they had shot it. It could be the valley, but it could even be like down like in San Pedro or up in Santa Clarita or something. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm always interested to see how Poverty Row Productions uh, leave the confines of the sound stages because they can't faithfully recreate the conditions of city streets you know honestly on their own lots so they do use location shooting to a much greater degree than the major studio productions of the period so that's always interesting but of course it yielded absolutely nothing because i couldn't tell where the fuck we were this movie my whole review of this movie is just things i remember noticing but not really thinking about i think it's because like we'd watched this as the second film and the first film which was postal inspector just had a little bit more to it so it was like I'm always going to remember that one a little bit more. Not while, while it wasn't good, it still had more going on than this telephone operator. Yeah, telephone operator, I basically already forgot that I watched it. Yeah, mm. I think I think it's a novelty for someone who either is an Alice White completionist or a monogram completionist or just some fucked up Grant Withers fan. I mean, do any of those people exist? Some people are into masochism, you know, sexually. Uh, yeah, I would not watch this unless you're really interested in telephone operation because, you know, your Mima was a telephone operator or something. I There's nothing really to recommend this movie. That's the other thing. They spend very little time at, at their post, which is funny because I think that the top review on IMDb says something like, Judy doesn't leave her post. Judith stays at her post. It's like, well, no, she doesn't really because they spend the bulk of the <laughs> <laughs> away from the telephone operator board. They're not at the switchboard the whole time. So what you're saying, like, in the event of a natural disaster, you'd want telephone operators to die at their posts? Yes. Okay. That's what they sign up for. That's like saying, what, are the 911 operators continuing to, you know, accept? it's like, yeah, that's, that's the job. It's like the same idea that when you're a kindergarten teacher, you're supposed to fling yourself in front of the bullets and not let the kid get hit, you know? I, would I do it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Tiff and I were Tiff and I were talking about this the other day because we watched Murder at uh, 1600 with Wesley Snipes and Diane Keaton just throws herself in front of a bullet for the president and I absolutely would not do that. Diane Keaton anybody. would only do that for Woody Allen. Diane Lane. Diane Lane. Oh, Sorry, Diane. I, okay. I was like, I would I would take a bullet for Diane Lane, so I understand it a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was kind of like, I was she like what like murder? It's what is she like the first lady or something? But I mean, it would have been a good movie honestly it's like driving miss daisy but i saw you guys were also considering watching the fan with wesley snipes. Well, that's a truly bad shit movie i mean look we're working our way through wesley snipes's filmography because it just needs to be done at this point yeah i think you guys should watch it my only complaint about the flan the, the, the flan <laughs> i have no com- i have no complaints about about flan uh, as a concept uh my complaint about the fan is that if you've seen the king of comedy it's de niro is it's just de niro and the king of comedy except it's baseball this time you know so I mean, wouldn't it also just be De Niro in Cape Fear? That too, yeah. I guess they're all just three sides of the same triangular die. (laughs) I mean, like, De Niro... 
people love him, hate him, whatever. He has he has a shtick and he, he uses it. That's why whenever people talk about how like movies are so different from movies back then and now people appreciate acting, it's not just playing yourself in every movie. It's like, no, people still love movie stars. De Niro's a movie star. He's just like Brando. He plays himself in every, you know, in every movie. It's the same performance in every movie. And that's what people want. That's what people desire. They just trick themselves into thinking that some people are, are better at it than others because they have a wider variety of roles in which to effectively continue to play themselves. People don't give Wesley Snipes the benefit of the doubt about that, though, because of the tax evasion. I mean, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, I, on one hand, I enjoy Wesley Snipes as an actor because he's truly batshit, the films that he made. But on the other hand, I cannot absolve him of his tax evasion because really everyone should pay taxes. We should do a whole episode um, centered around movies starring people who have had tax evasion issues. I can't really think of any. Nelly in The Longest Yard. (laughs) That was the first tax evader I thought. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a few more tax evaders that came out in the Panama and the Paradise Papers we can probably... That's true. I wonder who was an old Hollywood tax evader. I know there are a couple, but they're they're not coming to mind. See, if only there was like a red scare, but like for tax evaders. We can manifest that in 2020, everybody. It's a new year. It's a new decade. Wow, there's a... A whole lot of articles just about this, the golden age of Hollywood tax avoidance. Oh, good. With the byline, do you really think Bing Crosby and Bob Hope paid 90% of their income to the tax man? Uh, (laughs) Okay, William Holden's name's come up. (laughs) Yep, Bing Crosby. I mean, a lot of this is about the loopholes that they engineered to be able to keep their taxes because the taxes were quite high. Apparently lots. Lots. Lots is the answer to that question. Oh, here we go. Sammy Davis Jr., Joan Crawford, Henry Fonda, Sinatra, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, these are the people who are most concerned with sheltering their income. So all of them, effectively. All of them. No one in telephone operator had enough money to shelter. So maybe that's a blessing in its own way. Uh, well, I guess now we should talk about Postal Inspector. Oh, yeah. We always talk about the boring movie first. And then we leave the most important one for last after everyone stopped listening to the podcast. Yeah, this is definitely the much more uh, memorable of the two. I'll read you the tagline of the film. The daring exploits of secret agents of the mail service. Um, <laughs> so I feel like this is where this film was imbued with the kind of sentiment that I think Kevin Costner really wanted to put into The Postman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it really positions postal inspectors who in this case is Ricardo Cortez, a sort of bastions of justice and they're able to do all these things that are really beyond their purview um, like catching scammers helping old ladies do things I really don't think they have the I mean they do make a big point of that they're the only people who are allowed to handle the mail and that the only person allowed to open the mail is the person it's addressed to. But it's like, man, I just, I feel like... Uh, well, I think I maybe this is a cultural thing. Because in America, the mail is considered kind of a sacred, uh, I don't know, a sacred cow, I guess. If that phrasing isn't offensive, like Ugandan knuckles, it might be. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I had to fucking explain what Ugandan knuckles was to my mother. Well, day. you're welcome. <laughs> That's bonding, Amelia. That's a cherished memory you're gonna have forever. No, in, in America, the, the, the postal, postal inspection's a big deal. That's why um, so many white-collar criminals and stuff only really get charged with and convicted of things like mail fraud, because the, the postal service 
service has, um, I don't know if it's a, a priority in terms of investigation or they have more dedicated investigators or what it is, you know, whatever it is, but it feels like that stuff is, is taken much, much, much more seriously. I mean, it's illegal here to open someone else's mail, but we're so concerned with like fruit coming in well i mean like we have like for example we this didn't exist obviously when they made the movie postal inspector in 1936 but we have things like the can spam act which basically uh you can't send an email without a real address to which a response can be forwarded otherwise the fine i think is something like ten thousand dollars per email so, like, if I send an email out to a thousand people with a fake address attached, I don't pay a $10,000 fine. I pay whatever 10,000 times 10,000 is. How many? How much money is 10,000 times 10,000? Siri, what's 10,000 times 10,000? It's 100 million. $100 million is <laughs> Thanks, the fine Siri. I would have to pay the U.S. government. <laughs> Thank you, Siri. <laughs> yes? No, so, Siri, I'm done talking to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> If you like, I can search the web for. Hey Siri, I'm done talking to you. Okay, how do I make her? Okay, thanks. thanks <laughs> Your Siri thanks, sounds Siri. very different to my Siri. I'll just say that. I mean, I guess it has an Australian accent. I was gonna say, all right. Yeah, hey Siri. I'm not sure I understand. Thanks, like Dame Edna. Does uh, Canadian Siri have a Canadian accent? Does she sound like John Candy? I don't believe so. No. Well, anyway, back on the Postal Inspector. Um... <laughs> no, I want Scott Thompson to be the voice of Canadian Siri. <laughs> Show business is full of actors, singers, dancers, and models. And then there's me, actor. Singer, dancer, model, Canadian. I can make the word Canadian sound sexy. A couple more uh, recognizable faces, I guess, in this one. Bella Lugosi being one. Hattie McDaniel is in this for a brief period of time. Patricia Ellis, I don't really know much about her, but she's our female lead. She's also a child in this because we figured out that she's like 17 years old when they made this movie, which is a little dodgy. So I guess the plot of Postal Inspector is Ricardo Cortez is a postal inspector. The titular postal inspector. The postal inspector. He inspects the post. We open with that really great FDR impersonation. This is for you, gentlemen. Gentlemen of the post office inspector's service, I want to congratulate you for your fine work in moving the gold reserves of the United States to the inland cities. It was a big job. And you handled it with your usual efficiency. I'm sorry, I can't greet each one of you personally. So I'm taking this method of expressing my appreciation and conveying the thanks of the people of the United States. Well, there's nothing I can add to what has already been said by the president. And now I suppose you're anxious to get back to your post, so I won't keep you. It was so bad. It was like Rich Little was doing it that or was something. was nuts. They were all just sitting around the radio listening to this recording of the president being like, thanks for inspecting our post. You're doing a really important job. <laughs> And, like, it didn't go to all the postal inspectors. It just went to the people who were in that room. And they're just like, wow, that's great, isn't it? And then off to work we go. 
the actual people doing the inspecting didn't get to hear it. Maybe that's why I remembered this as being like a, a low budget picture, like a monogram picture, because the FDR impression was so bad that I feel like Universal would have had the resources to get somebody who could do a better FDR impression. It wasn't even that it didn't sound like FDR. It didn't sound like a person. It was like... <laughs> It was proto-Alexa. Yeah, it's weird. Then it quickly cuts to them on a plane, which frankly looked like it was the size of a bus, which I would never, ever be caught dead on a plane that small. It looked like the plane from Five Come Back, like you're, they were going to end up in the jungle and then have to decide who was going to live and who was going to die. <laughs> uh, and then they hit a storm. And like apparently um, Ricardo Cortez was like just able to open the cockpit door and talk to the pilots. It was just like, wow. Pre-9-11, you could just fucking do that, huh? And then everyone's panicking because of the storm and the turbulence, so Patricia Ellis just starts singing because she's a, a nightclub singer. Her song is about having bluebirds on your wallpaper? Yeah. Play something that she can sing. All right. <laughs> oh, that one? No. That's all right. Go ahead. Here we are together. The line, we're in heaven now. Right. <laughs> is the refrain. Which is not great. Like, they are going to crash, just like in Five Came Back. And everyone's making fun of Hattie McDaniel for being all upset and scared that, like, this is exactly what would cause a plane to crash. Yeah. <laughs> we're in heaven now is tempting fate. Exactly. Anyway, so they eventually land and they meet up with their requisite entourage. Ricardo Cortez catches up with his brother. His brother has eyes like Sid from Ice Age. They're like, <laughs> I said this, I said this when we were watching it she keeps getting introduced to more and more men with eyes further and further apart at one point like they're just going to introduce a hammerhead shark and <laughs> be done with it i don't know what i don't remember this actor's name but he really looks like if you took buster crab's face and then you put sid from ice age's eyes over it <laughs> um his name is michael michael loring and he doesn't have a wikipedia page so i assume best known for breezing home 1937 seven credits well, there you go. Sucks to suck, bitch. She knows him from her past. Charlie Davis. <laughs> How are you, Connie? Well, I wouldn't have known you. You've changed, though. I didn't have any trouble picking you out. <laughs> well, how long has it been? About seven years? Something like that. <laughs> Gee, we did have a lot of fun, didn't we? Remember old Grumpy who had the penny candy store? Is he still around? Uh-huh. Well, tell me about everybody and everything. I guess everything's changed. Mm, not so much. Except the 610 comes in on time. <laughs> And the kids we knew were all grown up, except Jerry Phillips. He died. Oh. Her manager is Bella Lugosi, who owns a nightclub. Yeah, Lugosi has this really great publicity idea because he hears that she sang on the plane when everyone was scared and it calmed them down. So he decides to hire her and the child, like literally like a 12-year-old boy who accompanied her on his harmonica. Slammy Moore is doing a song number for them up there in that plane. Is that so? Yeah. How do you know? I just heard it from Jeffrey on the field. The passengers were frightened. She's got them all quieted down. 
That makes a heroine of her, doesn't it? Learning American ways very fast, Mr. Benez. Publicity is publicity. In any language, gentlemen. Nightclub star faces death with song on her lips. Where's that telephone? And remember, she's on the contract to me. And he hires them to sing the bluebirds on your wallpaper song in his uh, nightclub. And I guess that's that's supposed to bring in the people somehow. It's the 30s, baby. Child labor laws. Who needs them? I guess this all culminates in what we noted was a plot very similar to that of the film Hard Rain, which involves Ricardo Cortez and his brother explaining to Connie how retired currency travels through the mail. She then relays this to Bela Lugosi, not knowing that he's not a man of good character, and he tries to steal that money. And then there's a flood. Uh, Just like in Hard Rain, the police, well, Ricardo Cortez and his enforcers are all like, oh, well, she stole the money. We told her all about it. And now the money's gone. It's all her fault. And then they find out that it was Bella Lugosi. And then, like, is this the one where the children were, like, on the radio? Yes. Yes. Oh, God. That was a tonal shift. If anyone hears this message that knows Joseph, will they please relay it to him? Right up close to the microphone here. I'm all right. The flood is very bad. We've lost our house. And, and Father... Father is missing. Seymour, Daddy's in the hospital. He got hurt helping some people out of the water. I think he wants you to come back. Let me talk. I got Alice here. Wait a minute. Hello, Aunt Louise. I got my party dress wet when I saved Buster. Can you hear me? Like, they're just sending out these messages over the radio to loved ones because they were cut off jesus what a hard right turn um i have i i was doing a bit of googling and now i was looking at some of the notes in the ricardo cortez biography uh the magnificent heel by uh dan van nest and apparently i'm full of shit this movie also contains stock footage of flooding there's there there are close are the, are the close-up shots like um, this whole bit involving Ice Age Eye Guy's uh, car, right, which is submerged in water. But it also contains footage of the 1936 Pittsburgh floods, the St. Patrick's Day flood in Pittsburgh, which I think is a little ghoulish because it killed, like, how many people died in this flood? A lot. At least 69 people so far that, that I, I've seen the number um, were killed in that flood. So I feel like that might be a little distasteful. A little bit. Yeah, more than a little, I'd say. That was about it. They find out that uh, Lugosi... I mean, there's a speedboat chase, kind of. A speedboat is, like, used to, like, cut them off. And a slow boat. Catch, catch Lugosi and send him to prison. And then there's a wedding. The brother is also initially caught and then vindicated, I guess, by the presence of its... Um, his keychain is, like, a little, like, quartz elephant. <laughs> Which I remember being very funny and very urban outfitters of him. Very Visco girl. And then the movie ends with them singing into a phone, which was nightmarish in my opinion. I hated that. Hello? Oh, hello, Bill. Where are you? Oh, that's too bad. Well, I hope you can arrange it with Washington so you can come to our wedding tomorrow. Gee, I wish you could come up now. We're waiting for you. We have potato salad and chicken. We'll have bluebirds on all our wallpaper decorating our dream. Shy little rosebuds on the china ware. Is there anything I can do for you? 
My name is Mrs. Coast, and I sent away for this machine. One of those work-at-home gadgets, huh? Have you seen them before? Oh, yes. Lots of them. A bit less abrupt than the ending to Telephone Operator, but still not good. Yeah, not good. Not great. Um, this was directed by Otto Brower, and um, I was just looking through his, his credits. He started off as an actor in On the High Seas in 1922, and then went on to direct 45 films. But uh, one of the films he directed is called Sex Hygiene, which is a, a 1942 drama short about uh, sexual health. I wonder if that's one of the movies on my potential uh, bill for our proposed series on films condemned by the uh, the League of Decency. I think that is one of them. Uh, probably, because it's about several servicemen relaxed by playing pool at their base. One later visits a... I'm going to say sex worker, and contracts syphilis. As a result of his unfortunate experience, there is an opportunity for sexual health information about syphilis, how it is spread and how it's spread can be prevented. Uh, also, his last credit, even though he didn't get a credit on it, uh, was Jewel in the Sun. He was Joseph Cotton's armpit sweat in Jewel in the Sun. Cotton looks really sweaty in that movie. Uh, it, okay, so I'm looking at something. It says, according to Gregory William Mank's book, Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, The Expanded Story of a Haunting Collaboration. Title's too long, should have cut that. The total budget for Postal Inspector was $175,174. I feel like they should have bumped it up to 175 175 just for accounting purposes. <laughs> Bella, Bella worked on the film for three weeks, which is a little shocking because he's only in like three scenes of the movie. Yeah. And, but he made 15 grand. Cash that check. Yeah, yeah, literally. According to the Film Daily, to publicize the movie, Universal Studios designed giant-sized letters addressed to the stars of Postal Inspector to be delivered to theaters on opening nights. According to several theater owners, these attract considerable attention when mail delivery people carried them through town. Can you imagine? You're a fucking postman. Your whole livelihood is being mocked by Ricardo Cortez. Now kids are following you through the streets, throwing things at you. Probably marbles or whatever because kids back then didn't really have like you know rocks i don't know they didn't have they didn't have super soakers yet or nerf balls so they're hitting you with stuff that actually hurts like glass and they're just bullying you (laughs) because you're carrying a huge letter i don't know the size i'm gonna assume like eight by eight feet i feel like that sounds reasonable (laughs) addressed to bella lugosi I've got in my notes, guinea pigs were just born to try things out on. And then under that, in all caps, I wrote, just fucking drugging some guinea pigs. Oh, Oh, the vivisection. The vivisection subplot. What's in here? A couple of guinea pigs. I told the guy he couldn't send them through the mail, but he walked out and left them. I don't know what to do with them. There's no return address. Oh, the poor little things. We can't leave them like this. They'll starve. What are we going to feed them? That's right. What are we going to... I got it. Guinea pigs were just born to try things out on. I'll start with some of these ionized wall tablets. They're good for uh, general debility, lassitude, and head noises. You think you'd better take a chance? Sure. It's the scientist in me. Come, pig. They find, what do they find? Like, they stop... Guinea some, pigs. No, they find some guinea pigs, but they also find some drugs that, are, like, is obviously part of a scam, and they don't know what they do, so they're like, oh, let's just try them out on these guinea pigs. Yeah, they have a whole cabinet on the wall of things that they've confiscated from the post, and so they do, yeah, they don't know what the drugs are for, and so they're like, okay, well, because the guy was going to mail some guinea pigs, and they were like, you can't send live animals <laughs> to the mail, and he was like, okay, well, they're your fucking problem, and then he left. And so they said to pump them full of, I don't know, gonad cream or whatever people were buying (laughs) 
<laughs> monkey <laughs> monkey junk, you know, all that shit going on in the thirties. Um, whatever it was, it just made them breed like Good. a whole. Bunch. It, it probably was monkey testicle. Male quackery was a whole plot in this movie. Uh, medical quackery, you know, with people buying like as seen on TV style products that don't work to make them taller or make them younger looking or whatever. And then there's the nod to the um, the old lady who's catfishing guys pretending to be some hot young thing so that people will send her cash. It really went a lot to like show that we really haven't advanced that much as a society in being like discerning. Absolutely not. Because you could get catfished in the 30s because all you were looking at was a newspaper advertisement. But now it's like it's like when you watch catfish and people be like, well, they've never, you know, Skyped with me because they don't have a webcam. And then Neve will be like, it's 2018 or whatever. Why don't they have a webcam? Where, what are they Skyping you from? Like all the people who always think they're dating celebrities. Like that guy who thought that he had proposed to Katy Perry. That's a really good episode of Catfish. I don't know if we watched that (laughs) one. (laughs) But this guy tells his brother, he's like, I'm getting married. I'm going to give her like grandma's wedding ring. And his brother's like, okay, because like there's a television crew there. So he knows it's going to be bad news. And then he's like, it's Katy Perry. And the brother's like, like, Katy Perry, Katy Perry? And he's like, yes, we're in love. And she's going to move in with me. Uh, they live in, like, Kentucky or some shit. And then, of course, it turned out to be, like, a child in a different country. So I don't really know what that has to do with the plot of Telephone Operator. <laughs> oh, wrong movie. Postal Inspector. I mean, we're talking about people getting scammed. People have always been scamming. <laughs> there was also that, Candace, you might remember better than I do, like, the people who were hitting each other with clubs and, like, scraping their knees with razor blades and sandpaper and shit oh right because they were doing uh an insurance scam yeah yeah yes by pretending you know the faking car accidents for insurance money and we were like they seem very into it like it's the level of detail i think i have a case that might interest you now wait a minute lieutenant gene what about that insurance fraud case tell lieutenant audway about it i think this is going to be a big case What's that? There's a gang around here that's collected over $50,000 from the insurance companies on false property damage and personal injury claims. That's so? They take old cars and bang them together, shove one over the cliff, then they roll in the dirt and beat each other up with clubs, cut themselves with razor blades and rub the skin off their arms and legs with sandpaper like this to make it look real. Isn't it? We were like, this seems weird um, because it was written by Horace McCoy. Yes. Yeah. And and then suddenly when it started to turn, we were like, oh, this makes more sense. Yeah. Because then the yeah. flood happened and you have the old lady who's trying to get in contact with her son and she's like, the whole house is gone. The farm is gone. The animals are dead. Oh, there's Pa's missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or whatever. And it's like, and we can't find mommy, but, you know, yeah, we hope that if we're orphaned, we can come live with you, Auntie. <laughs> ant name <laughs> i was like what's what's an ant name in 1936 clarabelle uh yeah but that was very horace mccoy that was very mccoy that was the real mccoy oh oh here's another note i have um patricia ellis has insane hair in this it's like like an 80s yeah. like, mullet i have never seen anything else like that before honestly at this point it looks in time. like metropolis the robot hair like when it becomes human it's kind of like that except crazier because she's not a robot and was never a robot allegedly um well i mean (laughs) that's just some more fraud well she didn't send herself through the mail so i guess ricardo cortez doesn't have any jurisdiction there well ricardo cortez he is such a like a low rent like he's like a very soft if george raft were a soft boiled egg that's 
like what he would be. And I don't get him at all. I, I just do not understand it. It's one of those things. I just like to point out that the harmonica kid who is credited as Billy, the boy, uh, was Bill Burrard, and he was a child star. He worked with Spencer Tracy and John Wayne. Then he served in the Navy in the Second World War, graduated Harvard, Harvard, and then uh, became a travel TV host. He coined the phrase uh, Treventure. He produced a whole host of travel series like the open road true adventure vagabond wonderlust good for him i was really waiting for you to say like he turned into like a serial killer uh no he he died in only 90 of a heart attack at 65 which is pretty sad but now his son runs the company the production company so and that son is zach bagans <laughs> travel channel that's what it is <laughs> wow and his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his contribution to television is next to Elvis Presley. He's more deserving of a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame than Elvis Presley, depending on which of Presley's stars it is. Because um, a lot of people have multiple stars, and it'll be like, for their contribution to television or radio, and be like, but really? I don't think Elvis ever contributed anything to film, thank you. Wow, okay, controversial. Bit of a blue Hawaii hater in here. I'm reading about Bob Braun's uh, show. Valley, he was also, he played himself in Valley of the Dolls, a world premiere voyage, which is uh, a TV special from 1967 about the maiden cruise of the Italia traveling from Italy to California for the premiere of Valley of the Dolls. So <laughs> that's cool. He was there. <laughs> he was there. Baby. Oh boy, he was there. What is the Bob Braun show? Cincinnati. Oh, okay. So I was wondering why the hell I didn't really know who this guy was, but it's like he his show, I guess at some point was based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. I wasn't aware that people who host shows in Cincinnati, Ohio end up with stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but Tiff comes from a country with with a very famous Walk of Fame. Uh well, one that you guys that have thought about have a lot. Rick Moranis on it. <laughs> Frankly disgusting that he's not on the Canadian Walk of Fame. Well, I don't know what else we have to say about these movies. Yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> okay, so what's our verdict? Uh well definitely Postal Inspector was more memorable. Um yeah. particularly for its tonal shifts. Uh, I think they handled the flood aspect of it a lot more a lot more deftly uh so i'd give it three elephant keychains <laughs> out of ten um <laughs> that's a very small percentage according to siri she tells me uh whereas a telephone operator doesn't get any elephants i i see i would recommend watching both of these movies um even though you just recommended that you don't watch that's true i think i would recommend watching telephone operator like on double speed and then pausing whenever alice white comes on screen and then watching that at normal speed and then just speeding through the rest of the movie because she's the only thing that of interest um it is interesting to see her after the apex of her career after her personal life you know scandals you know after her kind of informal blacklisting over this you know horrible misogynistic uh scandal that she underwent in the 30s you know regarding her personal life after that has knocked her off the that top tier of hollywood that she occupied very briefly um i do think postal inspector is worth watching it because bella lugosi is is so endearing in the way that he approaches even a movie this dumb and a role this insignificant so earnestly. Mm -hmm. Like, it really is more like a glorified cameo, kind of something akin that you would normally see, like, thrown off to, like, somebody who's 85 years old and who's being brought in as, you know, it's, he plays it with the same gravita. It reminds me of, like, Melvin Douglas in uh, The Changeling or something. It's like, he's taking this. He is taking this very seriously. 
you know, he really doesn't need to, but he is. I, I enjoy that. I love Bella. So I would recommend saying that if you're a Bella Lugosi fan, but you can't fast forward through this movie because if you do, you will miss all of the insane batshit other things that happen, like We're in Heaven Now and the guinea pig animal torture. So I don't know. What's your verdict, Tiffany? I can't in good conscience recommend Telephone Operator. I was really bored. It, it, I, I didn't like that movie. Um, Postal Inspector is just crazy enough that I would recommend it. I'll give it like, I don't know, maybe like five Jane Fonda's getting shot at the end of the issue horses don't they out of 10 maybe it's it's worth a watch and it's again yeah. like 50 minutes it's so. worth wasting an hour of your life i think when you're on a train or something and you've got nothing better to do not like when you have something else that you should be doing it's not it's not that kind of escapism because then you're going to be thinking about the people who died in the floods and you're like maybe i should just do my <laughs> chemistry homework but why would you why bother learning something when you could learn something about yourself <laughs> Which is what? Sending things through the post is fun. Especially when your friend Amelia tries to send you a Gene Arthur collection from TCM and it takes like several months to get to your house and they just keep fucking sending you copies of A Christmas Story instead and then you have like 25 of those <laughs> on your shelf. should have written you an apology like personally for that whole ordeal. Like... The whole thing was, I just wanted to send Tiff a, a Christmas present, did it all before Christmas, tried to send it. There was like a free gift, which was a Christmas story. That arrived first. <laughs> I was like, cool, where's the rest of the order? I didn't just order <laughs> Tiff a Christmas story. <laughs> and then they just sent Tiff two more copies of a Christmas story and then finally <laughs> sent her the Gene Arthur set. So. In like April. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, and also I remember because that was the year I sent Candace Hollywood and Kodachrome. And I remember that you lost it under your own Christmas tree. It's just you're just like it never arrived. I'm like, said it arrived. Like, well, I'm bawling so severely. I had so many gifts from people who love me that you know. <laughs> My cup was overflowing. <laughs> okay, so in the pantheon of mid-30s films about floods named after jobs that are not very interesting, Telephone Inspector sucks. No, <laughs> Telephone Operator sucks. Telephone! <laughs> <laughs> Postal Operator. And that is our opinion. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on iTunes uh, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about this podcast. Maybe they're interested in Postal Inspector or floods in general. Um, <laughs> natural disasters, well, I mean, deadly. Natural disasters is a pretty touchy subject for me at the moment, considering the state of my country. But um, if you would like to send us something through the post, we don't have that facility at the moment, um, but we can consider it. So. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do if we don't have Ricardo Cortez there to inspect it, though. Yeah, exactly. If you're trying to send um, apparatus for Tiff to be taller, that might be a fair All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there will be another episode eventually. There are several mitigating factors that make this quite difficult, um, but we're committed to entertainment. So just uh, be aware of that when you're listening to our podcast. <laughs> be grateful. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Be grateful. My name is Mrs. Compton. Mm-hmm. I sent for this machine. Oh, yes. One of those work-at-home gadgets, hmm? It makes socks. And they promised in the advertisements they would buy all the socks that you could make at home. And now they won't do it. Is that right? How did you know that? Mrs. Compton, 
There are lots of these things sold all over the country. Have you any envelopes or correspondence? Yes. Do you think I can get my money back? I don't know. We'll make them keep their promises. And if they don't, we'll put them out of business. Oh, Butch, just a minute. Will you take care of Mrs. Compton, please? Have a clerk get all the details. Thank you, Inspector. You're very welcome. Oh, that poor old lady. Does this happen often? Yes, this is the game you call post office. It goes on and on.